basically what happened was I was talking to one of the um, our program director here, and you came up because we were talking about College Radio Day, and Pete basically said, hey, do you want to talk to him? I could try to get you an interview with him. So that's how this came up. Um, so I was wondering right. if you would mind talking a little bit about College Radio Day and kind of what was the inspiration behind it, what was the reason for coming up with it, that kind of thing. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, Shine, thank you very much for um, asking me for an interview and um, thanks for your interest. College Radio Day now, if you can believe it, is in its seventh year. And um, it is hard to believe because it began uh, way back, really, December 2010. I had the idea um, of a day of unity. And it was weird because like, I, I watched this film called The Social Network, which is about the founding of uh, Facebook and how that, that took off and united a lot of people, brought a lot of people together. And then I woke up the next morning with the idea of College Ready Day, and the first person I called about that was uh, Peter Creighton um, at St. Um, Dave University. So I called Pete up, and I said, Pete, what do you think about this? Pete said, this is great. We've got to do this. So we started working on the idea, and um, you know, really, for the first of all, we didn't have high expectations at all. We thought if we can get 50 stations to do this, we will be happy, and we end up getting over 350 stations. Mm-hmm. So since then, we knew that College Radio Day is a good idea. It's united a lot of college radio stations. Um, and again, just brings to people's attention the fact that College Radio is still here, it's still alive and kicking. Rumors of its death are exaggerated and are untrue. Um, college Radio is still very, very important in many people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you manage to like implement College Radio Day? Like, how where did you start off at St. Xavier and then just get it to kind of like grow a little bit, or how did you go about doing that? Yeah, because, okay, so the weird thing about College Radio Day is that we don't have, like, an office anywhere. We don't have, like, a building. But because of social media, Facebook and stuff like that, we sort of exist online. And a lot of the people, for for a long time, Pete and I were the only people kind of knew each other, really, for College Radio Day when we were putting it together because we had people involved who we never met personally who were serving on the national board. We only knew them online and through telephone calls. So... The way in which we did it, we used, we used Facebook and we used uh, email and we used stuff like that and we used Twitter and things like that to sort of communicate with people. Um, but really, we sort of exist as an online entity more than anything else. And everyone always says, all the stations every year always say, um, you know, where is College Radio Day being held? And I say everywhere. And they say, no, but seriously, where, where, where is it being held? What one location? And I say everywhere because every station that celebrates College Radio Day uh, they're celebrate, celebrating at their station on their campus and they're doing events just for them. And that's that's the thing about College Ready Day, the reason why it's beautiful, is that every station celebrates College Ready Day the way that they want to. Um, it's not a situation where we go and say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to play this, you've got to play that. The way in which College Ready Day has taken off is that we give people the complete freedom uh, to do whatever they want with it. But we do provide them with programming. We provide them with, like, sweepers and imaging and stuff like that with great content. And also, you know... We give ideas. I mean, some some stations like concerts have had alums back. They've done special interviews. They've done. They had a table out on on the court on campus. Student recruitment. It's a real, really good opportunity to mm-hmm. use the day to boost the profile and the um, the the, um, the coverage that the station receives. It's it's a day to get the shot light, the spotlight shone on the station uh, for the station to say, "Hey, we're here. We're doing great stuff. Look at what we do." So it's a really good day for many college radio stations to continue justifying their existence. Yeah. 
Um, can you kind of describe what the first College Radio Day looked like? First College Radio Day was almost utterly shambolic in the way that um, my students here in New Jersey, where I am, William Patterson University, where, where I teach, I'm a professor now, chair of the communication department. That first College Radio Day, no one knew what to expect. And we we were up. We stayed up for more than 24 hours wow. because the biggest mistake we made that year, and I'll say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, was that we had a launch party in New York City, oh. uh, which started at midnight. So we kicked off College Radio Day. And then, of course, the students were very excited and I believe imbibed a fair quantity of alcohol. <laughs> but then, of course, the party went very, very well. It was 3 or 4 a.m. And then they realized, and they were completely exhausted and somewhat worse for wear um, because of the alcohol, they suddenly realized, hang on, we've <laughs> got to stay up for another 24, 30 hours. And that was the thing. that My students stayed up. And we were contacting stations. We were doing interviews. Um, they were contacting stations across the country. We had bands come in. We were live programming for the full 24 hours. And then at midnight, everyone wanted to collapse. I said, we can't do this. We're going to stay up until 3 a.m. again. And they said, why? I said, California. California's three hours behind us on the other coast. So we stayed up. They stayed up for like three or four. They stayed up for probably 30, 40 hours, maybe 48 hours straight. Um, and that the final memory that I have, well, and it was brilliant. It was a brilliant day. Uh, it was fueled by Red Bull and uh, pizza. Um, I remember... A huge, you could build like a, 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 a sofa out of the pizza boxes that we had coming into the station that day. And then my favorite um, picture of that day was at the very, very end at 4 a.m. I, I, I like a heap of students had just collapsed all over the station on the sofa, on the floor, in chairs. All of them were asleep at the end of college ready days. Like mission accomplished and everyone, no one had the strength or the energy to actually go back to their dorm room or go home. They, everyone just fell asleep in the station. It was... It was bizarre, but it was good. It was a, a great feeling of satisfaction. It really was. Wow. I kind of wish I could have been there. It sounds so cool. Um, so Time Magazine said that College Radio Day is illuminating the cultural significance of student-run radio. In your opinion, what is the significance of student-run ra- radio? Like, what makes student radio um, so important to not only campus life, but also the surrounding community that the college is in? Yeah, well, I agree with what Time said about it because college radio is vastly underappreciated to the extent that if it were to disappear, if it were to vanish, it would make huge ripples in the larger culture uh, in America. And and I'll explain that because it is the first place that many student broadcasters go to find their voices. I'm not just talking about doing a show and playing a few songs. It's actually been proven through academic studies that college radio assists and helps uh, students find their own voice and uh, shapes their own self-identity and gives them self-confidence, builds their self-esteem, and uh, it really teaches them how to communicate more effectively and and builds their confidence when they do a radio show. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to that, you think about what the students are actually doing on the air. They're playing bands and music that you're not going to hear anywhere else. College really has a long track record and history of discovering artists and then breaking them and then Commercial radio steps and says, thanks so much, we'll take it from here, and we'll receive all the credit. So college radio is a place where you'll hear programming and you'll hear music that you won't hear anywhere else. And there has to be a place where you hear that kind of stuff. And college radio is that place. College radio is the place that you're going to hear things that are very, very niche, uh, very, very sort of non-mainstream. But there has to be a place that that is the case. 
uh, because if everything was mainstream, how boring it might be. And also, college radio was never meant to be mainstream anyway. Um, uh, you know, most of the mainstream couldn't handle college radio. College radio plays music um, that would not be palatable by, you know, for many people, for many audiences. But then again, that's really important that we do play stuff that has a very niche-specific audience. It's very important that College Radio is a place where students learn the trade and the craft of becoming a professional broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, they learn the skills to go on um, and, and do this thing professionally if they want. And even if they don't work in broadcasting, radio, TV, College Radio gives students a really important experience that they can actually feel self-confident and they can feel effective communicators, that they feel like they can really, they know their own mind, they know themselves, and they can go out in the world of work, whatever that is, and be far more confident because of it. Yeah. Um, College Radio Day has uh, become World Radio Day, um, and there's more than 30 countries that participate in this day. Um, But how did that happen? How did College Radio Day transform into World College Radio Day? And did you ever think that your idea would turn into something so huge? I did not. I have to say that World College Radio Day was a happy accident. I was only ever thinking, when I talked about this with Pete, we were just excited about American stations being a part of this. So the first two stations ever was my station here, WPSC, and the second station was WXAV. Mm-hmm. We were the two stations who did this, and we thought, well, even if it's just us two, it would be great anyway because we're really good friends, and you know, every time our stations have done stuff together, it's always been really cool. Uh, we didn't think that hundreds of stations, over 40 countries, would get involved. But what happened was stations outside of America saw what we were doing and said, can we join in? And we're not going to say no, mm-hmm. um, to the extent that outside of America, it's known as World College Radio Day. So, you know, it, it became a little bit surreal when you got the president of Italy writing a letter to you, um, recognizing World College Radio Day and other dignitaries and stuff. We had a, a letter from Obama three times and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I never I never thought that would happen. But, again, the, the idea was a good one. And... Um, there's nothing bad about the idea. There's nothing. There's no downside to the idea that we celebrate college radio in whatever form it is, in whatever country and culture it is. Because again, even though we might not understand what some of these people are saying in other countries, and might not understand the language, we know that they are passionate about college radio, and we know that it's just as important for them as it is for us. Right. Um, in College Radio Day becoming World College Radio Day. Um, what exactly did you have to do? Like, who did you have to work with in order to accomplish some of this, um, not like crossover, but in order to get this kind of to spread more? Yeah, so we have a board. We have like a World College Radio Day has a leadership team. And this is, again, using the free tools that we Skype every every week. And we have people on that call talking about College Radio um, and World College Radio Day. We have people in Italy, Germany, um, Sweden, um, Finland, um, you know, <laughs> we have people all at Greece, we have people all around the world participating in planning World College Radio Day, so much so that last year in Finland, in, in October last year, we had the first ever International Student Radio Conference. Uh, World College Radio Day was very um, instrumental in helping plan. And we all met up in Finland, we all flew to Finland, and it was um, amazing seeing these people that we'd only ever interacted with online. I think that's the thing about um, when you meet people in person. It's just so much more 
meaningful than just emailing and Facebooking. So we want to do that more often. We're going to have another conference next year. Um, mm. And I think the other thing, of course, is that um, there was this feeling that um, when you talk to people in other countries, that it makes the world seem really small in a good way, that we all feel as if we're part of it. You know, college radio is breaking down boundaries and barriers. It's bringing people together. We have this one thing that we all love in common, and that's college radio. So I, I can say because of college radio, there are college radio that I have friends all around the world now. Uh, I was in Italy earlier this year in Verona. That was incredible. In Finland last year, and then next year probably we'll go to Greece. So all of this has come out of this idea, and it's all been a little bit... I never really thought the international aspect would, would really... Uh, wasn't, expect, wasn't expecting that. So when it did happen, I thought, well, this is great, and only encouraging it. I mean, now the next step they were talking about, Cheyenne, is having, um, like, the United Nations pass a resolution or the European Union, wow. um, European Parliament do something as well. And then we were talking with a couple of senators in this country about the Senate passing a resolution here. And, you know, it seems almost like, what, what the hell is going on? How did we get to this level? Uh, but at the same time, um, it's a good idea and it's a simple idea, and why not? And it's only a good thing. And students, um, and I believe your college days, your college years are some of the best years of your life. So students are, you know, they're using College Ready Day to do some really good stuff, and they're also creating some excellent memories for them that will last them the rest of their lives. Um. Do you have a lot of students who maybe aren't involved with the radio where you're at now, but who hear about College Radio Day and then they do become interested? Yeah, one of the good things about College Radio Day is that stations can use it as a recruitment event. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hear about College Radio Day and we'll, we'll get a lot of students involved. And we'll get students who will sign up because of that. Um, and that's happening nationally and internationally as well. So it's a really good driver of student engagement so they will hear about it and they'll get involved. You know, we had Wycliffe Jean turn up uh, a few years ago, I think it was. Uh, Wycliffe Jean did a secret gig on my campus and MTV was there and they filmed it. And the whole thing was kind of <laughs> totally, uh, you know, very last minute, but we had Wycliffe Jean turn up and um, that was that was totally cool. We've had the front bottoms get involved. We've had the Lumineers get very involved because Lumineers, right? Yeah. <laughs> First ever um, year that I was here at the station, uh, they played my station. They played in my little station lounge, and I remember them. And now they're like Grammy-nominated artists yeah. playing with you too. So the Luminaries are still in touch. We've had a lot, you know, a lot of artists come through, and again, paying their respects to College Radio where they all began. Yeah. Um, you personally have interviewed some pretty awesome people. So there's like Chris Martin and Stuart Copeland and the Vice President Joe Biden. So. Out of all of the people you've interviewed, whose interview has stood out to you the most? Like, who is the most interesting or the most fun to interview? That's an excellent question. Well, first of all, uh, um, Joe Biden was a good man. But the thing about Joe Biden that not many people understand is that they told me when I did the interview that they said, you've got one hour. Sorry, sorry, not one hour. You've got 10 minutes with him. Not one hour. You've got 10 minutes with him, and that's it. And then after that, you're going to be connected. Um and his first answer went on ten minutes, over 10 minutes. I couldn't get a word in edgeways. And I was on the phone with him almost an hour. It was, you know, going from 10 minutes to basically one hour. I was like, wow, what the heck? I was, I was on the phone a lot. And he just loved to talk, that man. Uh, couldn't really get a word in edgeways. Chris Martin was a really good guy. Chris Martin was, and I believe still, still to this day, um, even though he's mega famous, 
um, that guy is grounded and that guy is genuine. And uh, it's amazing. Coldplay gets a lot of hate because um, maybe they're, they're just so successful. But my experience with Chris was that he was actually really on the level and he was really genuine and cared and really engaged well. Um, I, you know, I, I, I sat right next to him for like an hour and, you know, talking to him, maybe not an hour, but for quite a while. And I really got the sense he's a good bloke, a really guy care passionately and interviewed how well I didn't interview how to Howard Stern had me on his radio show and that was mm-hmm. an experience as well because he's quite a cheeky monkey um mm-hmm. a bit of a yes a bit of a cheeky monkey he uh he, he yeah he had a yeah he had a few questions that put me in a difficult spot but mm-hmm. I was ready for that and I could handle that um but probably let me have a look I'm just trying to think about some of the people I've interviewed uh Stuart Coburn of the police was a brilliant guy mm-hmm. Um, I, I think okay. So Les Paul, Les Paul was um, the inventor of the electric guitar, so to speak, legendary guitarist and inventor. And I did his last ever interview um, back in 2009, and he died just like three months later, I think. Wow. And I did his last person interview him, and I thought that was incredible. He was 94 at the time, yeah. and he was telling me how. Um, Paul McCartney had told him that if it wasn't for the music that he'd written himself, uh, some of the songs back in the 1950s and the 40s, the Beatles never would have got the record deal because they were asked to audition and they played a few songs and the band said, no, 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 play some stuff I might know. So they said, let's play this one and they picked a Les Paul song and the guy loved it and he said, you got the gig and then had that gig, there was an agent and so on and so forth. So I thought, that was amazing, and he was, he said that Paul told him many times because of you, because of you. Um, and then maybe one more, if I could pick one more. Yeah, uh, Eric Burden, the legendary singer from The Animals. Eric Burden was a guy who I met in person, and he was uh, a rock and roll Hall of Fame, obviously, former singer of The Animals, The House of the Rising Sun, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that really sad. That was a really sad interview because Eric. Uh, was this legend, and I went to meet him in this like really kind of like shabby, run-down hotel. And we met in the lobby, and he said, "Do you want a cup of tea or coffee?" I said, "Yeah, sure." So we had these little plastic cups with tea in, and he looked like terrible, like unshaved, and looked like he just got out of bed. And we went in this small little room in next to the lobby, and I did the interview there. And I really thought to myself, as I'd just been googling him, and I saw pictures of young Eric Burden. There's one photo of him getting out of the swimming pool when he was like 20, with a hairy chest and his like, you know, jewelry and stuff. He looked like the very epitome of youth, eternal youth and, <laughs> you know, rock star, fame, glory, good looks and all that. And then I saw this guy now, much, much older, quite overweight, and he looked really, really, really rough. And I just thought to myself, it was a learning moment because I thought, you know, you can have it all, you can have fame, you can have money, but at the same time, it's all sort of fleeting in a way, uh, particularly youth. Um, so I felt kind of like really sad. I couldn't believe that this was the guy that John Lennon used to hang out with and Jimi Hendrix and stuff. And here he was sipping tepid tea on a paper cup in a rather run-down, seedy motel in Chicago. Um, so it's just weird. I think it, was, it sort of demystified rock and roll for me because rock and roll, a lot of rock and roll is, is really rough. I think it was Charlie Watts said, uh, rock and roll is five years of playing for 25 years of hanging around and that sort of 
seem to sum that up. So I've had a few experiences, I think. I don't want to bore you to death, though. Um, how do you choose who you want to interview? Are there like certain qualities or ideas about a person that you look at before kind of saying like, yeah, I think they'd be good to talk to. Like, what's the process in your mind as you think about who you want to talk to? Yeah, I really think that um, I'm not into, I mean, if you give, and this is very personal, obviously, the answer I'm going to give you, and it has to be personal, but I'm not interested in pop celebrities, really. Um, I'm interested maybe in pop celebrities who were pop celebrities who have been through the machine and have come out the other end. Mm-hmm. And maybe they can talk about well, what, it, what it's really like because I'm looking for people to talk to people who have really been through some some major stuff. And I think um, I interviewed um, a guy called Chris Rea. And you've never heard of him, Chris Rea, R-E-A. He's a legendary guitarist and singer, a British singer, who um, in the 70s and 80s, particularly 80s and early 90s in England, was sold millions of records. Um, it's very, he was actually Grammy nominated for A Fool If You Think It's Over, this song he wrote in 1979. And um, he'd done the whole pop thing and uh, was very, very famous, millionaire. And he then was diagnosed with um, cancer, pancreatic cancer, I think. And uh, we went into hospital and said, we're going to re- resection your liver and your take out your pancreas or do something with pancreas and we're going to do all this kind of stuff. You have a 50 50 chance of surviving the operation. And he said to his wife, if I ever survive the operation, I'm going to go make the music that I always wanted to make but never had the guts to. And he did survive. And the music that he wanted to make was blues. He wanted to record and, 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 and perform blues music. So he did this. So the record label said, no, no, you know, too bad you didn't die. <laughs> do another album, but go ahead and um, do more of the same. He said, no, I'm doing a blues album. So they dropped him. They dropped him from the label. He said, okay, forget that. I'll just form my own label. So he then formed his own label, and then he um, released Dancing Down the Stony Road, this album, this incredible double album. And it sold a million copies. And was a huge mm-hmm. success. But he risked it all, and he reinvented himself as like this blues guitarist who was singing. And he said, you know, I couldn't sing about the blues until I had the blues. Recovering from his operation, he was on morphine. He, had, he experienced levels of pain he'd never experienced before. And he said, only when you've been in pain are you entitled to have the authority to sing the blues? And he had. And uh, the album, Dancing on the Road, was an incredible album. So I'm interested in people's stories, like Ray Manzarek from um, The Doors, with the people playing The Doors, and we talked about Jim Morrison. And I said, you know, come on, do you really think, you know, of course he died, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, look, honestly, Rob, I don't know. The only way to tell for sure would be go, to go to Paris, where he's buried and dig up the coffin. But who'd really want to do that? I talk about the doors and stuff. I'm just like, I am interested in separating myth, um, reality from myth. So, that so much, um, so, so much of the mythical is attributed and slapped onto um, celebrities and people who do anything that's significant. Um, when I interviewed Paul Saltzman, he was author of the Beatles in India, and he was in, in India with the Beatles uh, in 19. Uh, people know this 64. 65, maybe 66, I don't know. Um, but he was, in, he was in India with the Beatles. And for like a couple of weeks, he got to hang out with the Beatles as they were, separated from all, this, all the, uh, the thousands of fans in this remote location in India. And he describes his hanging out with George Harrison, playing sitar, watching George Harrison. And he describes a, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo. He describes set of individuals who were as human and as down to earth as you and I, mm-hmm. um, 
who, when they were removed from the insanity that was Beatlemania, um, they were like very normal people who couldn't quite believe what had happened to them. They're very sort of down to earth. So I, that's what, what, what interests me the most is talking to people who've had extraordinary experiences and to see whether they're still human after that. Mm-hmm. After that. Yeah. Um, okay, my final question for you. Um, so during your time at Oxford, you founded the first student-run radio station in the UK, and then you did go on to become the youngest morning show host in England. So clearly your past with broadcast is pretty extensive, but where did it start? When did you first look at broadcast as something more than just, hey, I'm in my car listening to so-and-so? Like, when did you know you wanted to then contribute to the world of broadcast? Well, I always enjoyed radio. I think I grew up in England in a, in a town called Cambridge. And um, Cambridge is not very big at all, 100,000 people, I think, which is not major. Mm-hmm. And I always listened to radio in the evening, and I remember going to bed, I'd have the radio on, and listening to these voices come through in the darkness. So I used to snuggle up under the duvet and listen to radio and just be enamored with the idea that there's someone on the other, on the other end in the studio broadcasting and I could hear them in my bedroom at night, and I was—I I thought I always thought that was magical. Um, but there really wasn't there, wasn't there wasn't college radio in England per se. Well, there is now, but at that time when I was growing up, there was not. The only thing they had, and they still have, closest thing to it was hospital radio. Mm. That is closed circuit systems in hospitals, and I the nearest station to me was um, uh, Radio Addenbrooke so at the Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, one of the largest hospitals in the UK. And so I went along to Adam Brooks Hospital and I remember I said, I want to do the radio and I said, yeah, it's downstairs. The radio station is downstairs, mate, next to the morgue. And so you'd be like downstairs and you'd do a show and do people reading past dead people. And he's kind of like, what the hell am I doing? You know, this, <laughs> I'm in a basement with dead people. That's how much um, they think of radio. Um, but I learned things down there and I learned that um, well, I got the thrill of going on, even it was just the patients who were listening, who were literally the very definition of a captive audience. They were bedridden. They couldn't escape us. So God bless them for that. Um, but we, we, um, I, you know, I was trained. I put together shows. And actually, I realized then um, that it's far harder, far harder to actually do radio than it is to just enjoy it. And really, when you're listening to radio, you don't really have an appreciation of what goes into it. Some people are so good, they make it look easy, but tremendous amounts of prep is involved in practice to make it sound as good as it, as it does. Mm-hmm. So I started out down there in hospital radio. I made some mistakes. I remember um, wishing that this guy, like, requests would come in from patients. And I remember, like, one time this guy said, wish me luck for my operation, and I said, you know, good luck, break a leg. And then he got angry because actually his leg was being amputated. That was his operation. So that was massively inappropriate. Didn't realize I was just 16 years old, hadn't got a clue. And also, whenever we took requests, we managed to go up to the wards and take requests for the patients. And they always wanted uh, Buddy Holly, Frank Sinatra, and Elvis. And I'm like, no, no, and no. I want to play better stuff than that. So, oh, Roy Orbison was big and then as well. So I started that, but I, you know, I, I did enough that it gave me taste and it gave me um, an incredible thrill and excitement of broadcasting. I never ever took it for granted. It's a huge responsibility, and you owe it to your audience to be prepared, and you, you owe it to your audience to actually 
uh, put on a, a show to actually provide something that's worthwhile and worthy of someone listening to. Mm-hmm. So you really do have to um, think about what you're going to do. And that's why I really can't... You know, some, some people just turn up on the end, they ring it and whatever, that's fine. But I always appreciated radio that's kind of sort of crafted and uh, thoughts gone into it, you know? Um, thank you so much. Those are all my questions. Um, I really appreciate you letting me interview you, so thank you. Well, thank you very much. And um, I just want to say I have a lot of fond memories um, with the Zabrites and with the radio station, particularly the Zabrites. I remember um, I used to stay, uh, I didn't at the end, but when I first got there, I was very keen, I was keen as mustard to, to, to do my part. And so when it came to press night, I would stay up until it was done, until it was put to bed and emailed off for FTP to the publisher. And that means I was leaving uh, 3 or 4 a.m. And wow. then driving home, I lived in Naperville at the time. Oh, wow. So i drive home like an hour, yeah. and then there'd be like a dean's meeting that would have to be at, at 9 o'clock. Oh. And so I'd get like three hours sleep, three and a half hours sleep, and then I'd be back at 9 o'clock for a meeting with the dean and the students. And I'd be like, what the hell, I'm not going to die. Um, <laughs> But I wouldn't trade it. it was, they were great years, and I, I really do have a lot of mem- uh, great memories of the Zabri and of Derek City, um, a really great place for me to be, and the students were great too. You know, every I think it's so wonderful, and I think that student media doesn't get some of the credit that it deserves for all of the hard work that goes into sharing the campus with the community and even the other students on campus, and I just think... I just think it's so wonderful, the radio station, the bell, the, the Xavier Red. I think it's all wonderful, and not just here, but, like, on all colleges, on all campuses. So I think, I don't know, I just think it needs more um, exposure, I guess. So <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think you're right, and uh, I-, I won't take up too much of the time, but I'll say this, I think you, you know as well as I do that uh, college reading is incredibly important. It just doesn't get the kind of appreciation that it deserves. A lot of people should realize how much effort goes in, mm-hmm. um, how much you know, how much work, and how important it is. If it, again, if it were just to up and disappear, it would leave a huge vacuum. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Okay, no problem. Thank you for your time today. Cheers. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye.